Uh, right now we are working our way in a series through the New Testament where we're stopping at every major section in the New Testament and we're unpacking the core message of uh, what that particular author has for us. Today we will be looking at the theology of First and Second Peter. Uh, and, and our hope in this series uh, is that this is... This book, the Bible, uh, is not just something God has said in the past, but something God is saying to us now and saying to us clearly. And the hope is that in taking the time to understand this series and understand these books and the theology within, we would understand the Bible for ourselves and you would understand the Bible for yourself better. You would apprehend it more and be able to read it more fruitfully for yourself. Uh, because the point of our church is a church that loves Jesus and is centered on His gospel. We are a sim simple church in that way. Uh, and, and the whole deal is that, that it's not that you come every week just to hear me unpack the text, though you do. Uh, and, and we believe in the power of public, the public proclamation of God's Word, but also that you would apprehend the Scriptures for yourself as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, one quick announcement before I pray and dig in. Uh, we'll have a little bit shorter sermon today as we have a members meeting uh, after uh, service today. If you can stick around for that, that would be great. Uh, I will pray for us and we will dig into 1 Peter. Uh, King Jesus, we do thank you for today for your glorious might and your mercy in our lives. Uh, I pray that the truth of your gospel would just resonate in our hearts, that, that you have paid the price for our sins to make us right with you, uh, to make us clean, and there's nothing we can do to earn the love of God in Christ Jesus, but that is a love that is poured out to us on grace and, uh, by your grace and mercy. So help us today to remember that we are a forgiven people. Uh, but that we are a people that are given life. And here on planet Earth in 2016, as every generation before us and every generation till your return, we live as strangers and sojourners and exiles here. Our citizenship is not on Earth, but is in fact uh, with you in heaven uh, and from where we await your return, Jesus. Uh, so God, I pray your grace and mercy would be poured out on this church today, uh, that we would hear your truth and we would be, be so rock-solidly secured in the truth of who you are uh, that it would just continue to change our lives uh, extensively. Uh, Jesus, we love you and pray these things uh, for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, so we'll be in 1 Peter as our main text for today. We're in 1 Peter in chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Uh, Peter, the apostle, uh, Peter, the, the disciple of Jesus, uh, is writing to a people in a time and a place where, where the church is beginning to take off a little bit. Uh, and as the church is taking off, uh, it's beginning to find some resistance in the time and place in which these people live. Uh, they are living as exiles and they can feel it. Uh, they're living in a time and a place where the Roman Empire uh, and the Roman rulers who are over them have a radically different worldview than they do. They see the world in a radically different way than these Christians because these Christians know the truth. They know that Jesus is the Son of God, not Caesar, by the way. Uh, when you say that, when you say Jesus is the King... You're saying something about wherever you stand in history. This is not a polemic against our own uh, particular government. If you're standing in England in uh, where, whatever time you're in, you're in the, uh, you're in the 10, late 1060s and you say, Jesus is king, you're saying William the Conqueror isn't. Not, not really the king of kings anyways. He's the king, we respect him, he's okay, but we have a greater king. 
Just like if we say Jesus is king, that means we say, yes, President Barack Obama or whoever replaces him pretty soon here, uh, they're ruling in Washington, D.C. They are in charge of the country, but there is an authority greater and mightier uh, over uh, whoever sits in that particular Oval Office, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the ruler. Uh, My passport says USA, which is true. It's a very nice passport to have in the world and the time and place we live. You can travel quite extensively because of it. But my truest citizenship is with Jesus uh, in heaven. And that's what Paul's getting after here. Because they're, or pardon me, Peter's getting after here. They're living in a time and a place where the, 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 the tension to be a Christian is heating up both with the government uh, and with actual citizens, with their neighbors. Uh, to be a Christian in this time and place puts you in awkward situations. So almost everything uh, in this time and place involves the worship of Roman pagan deity, which means to be a soldier or a bureaucrat or to participate in community events, you have to be involved in the pagan rituals of the time. And so Christians found themselves kind of on the outside. They found themselves on the outside of society because they don't bow the knee to the pretend gods uh, of of the Roman uh, uh, sort of milieu that they find themselves in. Now, here's the interesting thing about Peter when we think about this. Uh, If you listen to uh, sermons from 20 or 30 years ago preached just about anywhere in the United States of America, if you read commentaries that are a little bit old, especially uh, anything in the last century, uh, they find a way to apply this uh, to the time and the place and the tension that's being here. But it's almost difficult uh, for them to apply this to our lives today. And we just preached through the whole, the whole thing of 1 Peter last summer. And, and what was interesting as I was working through it, as we worked through it together as a church, what I found was that you almost don't have to do the, app, uh, the application work uh, in 2016. It's almost obvious. Uh, the tension to say that I believe there's one way to God and his name is Jesus Christ uh, creates a tension in 2016. We, we live in a time and a place where to say that uh, uh, it, it creates some friction. We, we live on the other side of the postmodern revolution, and the result of this kind of thing uh, means that the old view is out. The new view is in. And if you're holding the old view of reality, uh, if you hold the old view of anything that the Bible says, not only are you out, but you must bow to the new view that we have as a society which makes us exiles. Now, fortunately, Peter has a solution for us, how we weather the storm of living as exiles on the outside, how we live uh, uh, feeling that friction both with our neighbors and the society around us. Uh, He has three answers for us. One is in the past, one is in the present, and one is in the future. So I'm going to unpack this text we're looking at, and we'll look at the past, present, and future, how those things help us live as exiles in a world that understands the universe differently than we do. So here we are in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So they were lost. They were apart from Christ. They lived for themselves. They lived for self-centeredness. But now they live for Jesus. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. 
And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Well, these are people living likely where they were born. Uh, if, if they're not living, he's writing to churches in the Galatia area, which is this big giant chunk of the Mediterranean. Uh, if for some reason they're where he is writing to them and they weren't born there, the Roman Empire is gigantic. Right? It is gigantic. So these are people, if they didn't grow up in Galatia, were born somewhere within the, within the bounds of the Roman Empire. It had been gigantic since the time of Alexander the Great in many ways. Though it wasn't Roman, it was Greek, and then there was a big war, but that's not the sermon today. This, this massive territory that they belong to. So why is it they're exiles? Well, because they belong to Jesus. That makes them different in the world. Knowing, verse 18 that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was forsaken before the foundation, uh, or pardon me, foreknown before the foundation of the world, uh, but, you, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. I mean, that's just core to our very understanding of reality. Jesus made everything. He's sovereign over history, and he's made us belong to him through his grace and mercy, who raised him from the dead and gave uh, him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Uh, when you go to the outlet malls, as I am known to do from time to time, uh, you go to the map and you're trying to find the thing because you've got to find your kids some shorts and you've got to go nowhere to buy said item and you come to the map and there's a sign that says, you are here, right? You look at it and you say, okay, I'm by the, the cookware store and the shoe store. The short store is three stores down, and that's how I find out where I am. Uh, in many ways, what Peter does with this paragraph, in many ways what Peter's doing with both these letters is he's helping these exiles have that sense of you are here. And the you are here orientation to reality uh, is, a, is an orientation to the reality of the gospel, that we're sinners saved by grace, by the mercy of Jesus Christ who entered into human history to live this holy and perfect life that we didn't. To die this miserable death that we deserve. And rose from the dead, victorious over sin. And that we are invited into this life in God through Jesus and really called to and saved to by him into this life in Jesus, not by our own doing. And in so doing, he doesn't pluck us up out of our life and for the former ignorance, as he mentioned, and then transport us to heaven where everything is perfect and right, but we're saved in the midst of a broken world to live as people who, this word holy has a couple really important connotations, to live as holy people in this broken world. Holy both means to be without sin and to be, and to be, to be right. And, and, and when it talks about God being holy, it means that he's all right and no wrong, all good and no bad, all light and no dark. But this holy word also has this connotation of being set apart and different. So in the midst of the world in which we live, we're being made set apart and different. And God actually uses that set-apartness and that difference to reflect His goodness and mercy to the world around us, which needs it so desperately. But the you are here map has a past, present, and future element to it here. Uh, one, 
One part is the past period. And we need to be careful. I, I, I want you to be careful as you think about the world. Because we are Christians, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you're here with us, welcome. Uh, those of us as Christians understand the reality of who Jesus is and the world that he's made, not just to be biblical history or some kind of mythological history, but actually to be world history and, in fact, universal history. The history of the universe begins with God creating something out of nothing. This is our worldview. This is our narrative identity. This is how we understand reality to work. And he leans on that in verse 18. Look at verse 18 with me, if you would. Knowing, oh, this is our past. I want to get to his past. Uh, we'll do both. So universal past and your past. 18, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. We'll pick that up in a second. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, uh, but with the precious blood of Christ. 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, Jesus who set aside his divine rights, God himself who is holy and perfect and right, who came to cross the gap that we couldn't to save us from ourselves in our sin and make us right with him. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. We're right, wrong. He's right. And though we can't get to him because our wrongness is so extensive that Jesus had to come in his perfection and his holiness to get us and so where Peter's readers are sitting, by the way, is the same place you are sitting, is on the other side of what we'll call the Christ event. Christ event with a hyphen in the middle to sum up the whole reality of his coming down and going up. So he's born and he lives this life, preaching the good news of the kingdom, uh, casting out demons, healing the sick, doing miracles, preaching the truth of the kingdom, uh, willingly goes to the cross in our place that we deserved, in our place, die, bleeds and dies, and in the power of God is risen from the dead and spends the time between his resurrection and his ascension teaching the truth of the kingdom of God. That's the Christ event, that period, the down and up, the Christ event, boom. And so these recipients of this letter are standing on the other side of that, just like you are. Just like you are. Now, we do something funny. Because they are standing closer to that event, sometimes we act, sometimes we act as if it is more real or even perhaps more powerful to the church, the ancient church or the early church than us. The reality is, is that Jesus Christ is no less risen from the dead today than he was 2,000 years ago. He is no less risen from the dead. You are no less forgiven. The cross is no less real. His blood is no less powerful. And his truth is no less poignant today than it was to these readers here when this letter was written. So it was their path. It was pointing to, to the past of universal history. This here. But it's just as real for us today as it is for them. But the precious, by the, but the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He is leaning back into and pulling this image from the Old Testament when the people of God were doing the first Passover, uh, when they were being liberated from slavery in Egypt, and God said, paint your doorposts with the blood of a spotless lamb. That lamb dies in their place as a sacrifice for them, and God retrieves them out of Egypt. He's applying this same imagery to your sin and my sin. 
You and I once lived in slavery bound to our own selfishness and self-centeredness and the narrative identity and the reality of the world in which we lived, but something happened in the past and that thing that happened in the past is no less real today as it was to these readers. He says, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. If you are a reader of the Old Testament or you're a a first century uh, Jewish person or you're a Greek person who's read the Septuagint or the Hebrew, this sticks out. Boom! Oh! Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. He was foreknown. This reality of Jesus Christ is not plan B. God is sovereign over history. You can look at your own life as a Christian and say, well, what if, what if, I'd, what if I'd met Jesus in high school? My, how the world would have turned out differently. Yes. Yes, and in some sense, wouldn't that have been better for those of us who didn't meet Jesus in high school or in childhood or whatever that might be? Yes. Yeah, there's no such thing as a boring testimony. We say things like that. You ever heard that phrase, boring testimony? Oh, I, I, I met Jesus when I was like 10. He saved me from my sins, and I have a boring... T- that's the wrongest, that's the most wrong way we could frame that for one. Amen. That is the wrong way to think. You want to tell me that John the Baptist has a boring testimony. You want to go with me to Mark's Gospel in chapter 1 and tell me that John the Baptist has a, moral, uh, a boring testimony, let's go. Because you missed that is no less a miracle and a mighty miracle as a small child that you were saved by His grace and mercy. What a gift. What a gift. And some of us didn't have that gift. And when we look at our life, we can say, man, I wish I had. And yes, I wish I had. But in God's grace and mercy, His appointed time for you to meet Him was not an accident. You have your life and a massive life before that that is forgiven by His mighty hand and for His glory He does so. He forgives you from all your iniquity and you're forgiven. You're forgiven. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And so are you, by the way. And I can get that from Ephesians chapter 1. By His grace and mercy, nothing you've done. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. Because we could even say, well, why didn't he just come back right after Genesis 3? That would have been the biblical equivalent of all of us being saved at age 2. Right? Now, some of that I will chalk up to mystery. But I trust him more than I trust my own judgment. But was made manifest in the last times. That's now. For the sake of you. So when we read our Old Testament, the first three-fourths of the Bible, and I'm begging you, please read the first three-fourths of your Bible. It's amazing. You also need some unpacking. You've got to learn how to read it. And the New Testament is actually a great way to learn how to read the Old Testament. But the Old Testament's looking forward to this mighty time when Messiah will come and the kingdom of God will come and forgiveness will come and new hearts will come and the Holy Spirit will come in a new way. The Old Testament looks forward to that time. And again, Peter is reaching back into the Old Testament narrative and saying, that time through Jesus is now. You live in the last days. And we'll get to the Longness of those last days in just a moment. We live in the time between Jesus coming down, returning. We really live between the return 
and his return to set up his kingdom and put things back the way they're supposed to be. But we'll get to that in just a second, okay? Uh, who through him are believers in God. These little, powerful, compact statements in the Bible, when you read your Bible slowly, who through him are believers in God. Through him is Jesus. Through him means through Jesus are believers in God. The New Testament bangs the drum and reinforces it again and again and again and again. You get to love Jesus and it is a gift. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. It's through him and through his grace and through his mercy and through his cross and through his blood. Who raised him. God, who raised him. Again, you have to read slowly, particularly in the letters. There's all these pronouns. Him. Which him are we talking about? In the first clause in 21, him is Jesus. In the second clause, it's God. That's why a couple commas there. Through him who are believers in God, who raised him, pardon me, that second him is Jesus again, who raised him, that is Jesus, from the dead and gave him, that is Jesus, glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And it's a gift. For his glory and for our joy, by his sovereign hand, he rose Jesus from the dead and saved you from yourself to life in God. Cross the gap so that you could know him and love him. That's the past. Well, what does it have to do with exile? That's a mighty foundation to live in when the waves begin to crash. That's a mighty big foundation. You say, well, the narrative identity of the culture around us is of, of you know, just pluralism and postmodernism, and words don't really have meaning anymore. Thank you, Derrida. But we have something to build our world on, and that's the truth of Jesus Christ. But it's not just this thing, this historical thing that happened to him in the past. There's actually sort of, for lack of a better word, a, a subjective element to it, isn't there? It's you. It's your history if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're invited into having this history by him. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed, Jesus bought you by his blood from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. The life you lived apart from Jesus, you were bought out of by his blood so that you would be saved. That's what makes you an exile. That makes, that's what makes you a citizen of heaven. You're bought by the blood of the lamb, and you belong to him. Not the waves, not the tension, but there's a present it's not just the past of where you are here, but it's the present. It's the now. In verse 14, it says this. As obedient, what's the word? Children. Children. If we're not careful, and particularly out of our own sort of theological tradition as more reformed-leaning people, sometimes we can focus so much on sin, and sin is important to focus on Jesus died for our sin for our idolatry, for our love of self, for our doing the right thing so that we get credit and throw ourselves to parade and pat ourselves on the back the right, for the wrong reasons, for omission, for not doing the right things we could do, for the straight-up wrong things we've done, sins against God, sins against others. We have been bought by those things. Yes, absolutely. To be children of God. 
by His sovereign hand and grace and mercy that we could call Him Father. People who are wretched sinners in and of ourselves are washed clean and made holy to have this kind of relationship with the God of the universe. To have this kind of citizenship. It's a, it's a, we're citizens and children of God. Amazing. Go with me to chapter 2, verse 9 in 1 Peter. This is what it says about who we are. So, so there's the, the, um, the, the positional reality of who we are and the essential reality of who we are. Okay, So positional is forgiven. You're righteous. You're justified. Yes, 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 yes. Bought by the blood of Jesus. Pastime event. But the result of all that has an essential reality for you. You're not just someone who's been forgiven. You are a forgiven person. And you are even a person who's being forgiven in our own sin and our own failures. We are being forgiven by God. There is an essential reality to who we are. Uh, It's not just that God loved you in the past by saving you, but is loving you now, right now, as you sit in your seat. There is an essential reality to it. So uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are. That is a very important little verb. He's talking about who you are, and that's right now. So we can can kind of think about these as things we'd add to our resume. This This is kind of who I am on the piece of paper because I'm a Christian. But I think we need to also remember, this is who you are in your seat, in the PNA, whatever day it is, Sometime in May in 2016. This is describing you, if you are a Christian, right now. And here it is such. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now are you, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, he's coming, calling back on that, that exile reality, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We don't live as the world. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, those outside the church, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We don't like them because they're doing blah, 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 blah. But we do it in such a gracious and loving, we do blah, 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 in such a loving and gracious and kind way that as the accusations come against us, we stand in the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ because this is who we are. But it's not just that where our paragraph began. Verse 13. Preparing your minds for action. That's life now, right? Getting ready to have the waves crash against us. And being sober-minded. Being awake and aware of the time and place you are at so you know where the you are here sign sits. Set your hope fully on the grace that what? will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's coming. At the thing that's coming. How do we weather the storm? How do the brothers and sisters in Iran weather the storm where what they do is absolutely and completely illegal will send them to jail or worse? China, the largest, uh, soon to be the largest Christian uh, population on planet Earth where it is still essentially illegal to be a Bible-believing Christian. You can be a government sort of uh, a believing Christian but not a Bible-believing Christian. And if you want to be a Bible-believing Christian, there is a cost. How do they survive? How do you and I survive in the time in which we live when things don't go the way we want them to go even because we love and believe the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Helps on the way. Reinforcements are coming. And the reinforcements that are coming are greater than anything you can even imagine. Help is on the way. He's coming. Go with me to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. I mean, honestly, people in the United States of America, you can go to any, I mean, go to any time and place in history, you'll hear somebody saying, it must be soon because things are really falling apart. Last 100 years, 150 years, there's a large movement uh, thinking that way in the 1850s, right? It's not new, you know. World wars hit and people look around and say, well, this must be it. It must be falling apart. Augustine, living in northern Africa, Rome falls to the Visigoths and the refugees begin to pour into Carthage and Augustine says, uh-oh, it must be soon. The Diocletian persecution, it must be soon. Nero is going nuts. It must be soon. Christians have looked around for the last 2,000 years and say, it must be soon. And Peter says, settle down, everybody. Settle down. Help Help is on the way. Don't forget it. We live with the confidence on the you are here map that there's a future awaiting us that is a wonderful and glorious future and reinforcements are coming and they're bigger and greater reinforcements than you can imagine. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Thank you, Jesus. He's patient towards you, but listen, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. What? Uh, Romans chapter 1 says that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance. And you say, Jesus, how could you be so kind to that kid sitting in comparative religions class just lobbing grenades at all the kids who love Jesus in the class with everything he's got from the textbook provided by his teacher. How could you be gracious and kind to the kid using uh, French existentialism to argue with the kids at Squalicum High in the hall? Using what is you know, postmodern jargon uh, in the class of 1999. Why don't you just deal with that kid? Because he was going to save him. That's me, by the way. 
His kindness was meant to lead to repentance. The God who let there be breath in my lungs, I was mocking with the very breath that came out of my mouth, and yet God was so gracious to me to save me. When you say, why not now, Jesus? And yes, we should say, please, Jesus, come now. Book of Revelation, it's right there at the end. I have biblical precedence for saying, now is the time, Lord, come on. Put this world back the way it's supposed to be. And I also can rest on the fact knowing that he is actually saving more people between here and there. Why not now? Because there's still people in Seattle he's going to save. Why not now? Because there's still people in the middle of a moral revolution he's going to call to salvation. Why not now? It's getting hot here. Yeah, and there's still people to be saved. That's why. The Great Commission is still at work. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The book of Revelation tells us every tribe and tongue will representatives from the whole planet. He's not done using us yet to do that. He is not done with the church to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth for our church starting here in Seattle, out into King County, and beyond to the ends of the earth. But that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It is coming. And we're going to be surprised at the time and place in which it occurs. And then the heavens will pass away like a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works uh, that are done on it will be exposed. There will be a vindication of the righteous and a cleansing of the earth. I think this language is using here, this is cleansing language, and I'll show you why in a second. This is not, not just obliterate the earth language. It's, it's a cleansing of the earth language. Um, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people? What? Listen, he's tying this into right now. He's putting it on the map and saying, what, ought, what people ought we be in light of this? You are here, right? That's what he's doing. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for the hastening, uh, wasting the, the uh, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God. Again, this is that's Old Testament. The 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 uh, Yom Elohim, the day of the Lord. He's he's drawing on that, I think because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But listen, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth uh, in which righteousness dwells. And particularly as we look at that and working out Revelation 20 and 21, this seems to be a complete restoration of this world that is broken. And so we find ourselves on this you-are-here scale. God made everything good. Human beings broke it. And God made a promise to send someone, turns out to be his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to fix it. Uh, he, he worked through Israel to be a light to the nations. And, and fundamentally and finally, Jesus comes and arrives. Israel's Messiah, but not just the Savior of Israel, but the Savior of the world, bring this gospel forth. And we find ourselves between his going up and his coming down here in the church era. You are here. There's a personal you are here. You've been saved and you're waiting vindication, right? As we saw uh, in verse uh, 14. Pardon me, verse, yeah, verse 18. But there's a you are here, the things that have happened in the past. What God has done, working it from eternity past to bring it to here now by His sovereign reckoning and by His hand as He weaves history together. And you and I sit here as recipients of the gospel in the church era awaiting His return. 
So what do we do when the waves begin to crash? We're sober-minded, we're thoughtful, and we know that help is on the way. And where we stand in history as forgiven, blood-bought, cross-centered people. We live as recipients of the gospel and his grace and his mercy. If you don't know him, this is the truth. Jesus died to save us from our sin the things we've done against him, the things we've done against others, to wash us clean and to make us right with the God of the universe, not by anything we've done, by any merit or work of our own, but the giant gap we created, he crossed with his cross to save us. If you don't know him, today is the day. And for us as Christians, are you awake to the reality of where you are on the here are you map? Is this part of your being? Is this is the R language involved part of how you think about the world? Uh, is this your narrative identity? Is this your world? Is this your universe? The history of the universe for you? Do you understand yourself fitting in that? Or is this just sort of an add-on to your life and even the way you perceive reality? Forgiven, blood-bought, redeemed people in God's trajectory of the restoration of all things. And I would just really encourage you, if you're a Christian, this is, this is who you are. This is how we've lived then. How ought we live? Lives of holiness and godliness. As the people of God in the wake of his grace and mercy. What do we, what do we look at? How do we change our lives to be more and more molded to that reality? That essential reality of who we actually already are. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll Stand up and sing, and I'll set up communion. So I'll pray. Uh, King Jesus, we just thank you for the past. We thank you that before the foundations of the earth, you had a redemptive work in mind to deal with our sin. You had a redemptive work in mind to save us from our sin and from our wrongdoing and that you are working that plan in history now and that there are still people we know you are saving and we lean into that reality as we both pray for and ask for your swift return. Know that if today is not the day that you return, uh, it's not because you're slow, it's because you're saving. It's not because you're asleep, it's because you're redeeming. But we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall con confess and every uh, tear will be wiped from every eye. And the Lord Jesus the world will see and behold you for who you actually are. So I pray for us that we would live in light of that now. Lord Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory. Praise you for your sovereign power. And we just pray and just pray to enjoy you and know you more and more every day. We love you, Jesus. Amen.